We meet today in Isaiah chapters 43 and 44. This section of scripture, particularly chapter 43, reveals that God is not through with the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, Paul asks the question, has God cast away his people? And the answer is, God forbid. That is in Romans chapter 11 verse 1. So God is not through with these people as he makes it very clear in the chapter before us. So in these chapters, the two chapters we are considering, we will actually see, look at the retrospect, creation, redemption, preservation of Israel, then we look at the prospect, the future judgment, deliverance, uh, redemption of Israel, the promise of the Holy Spirit, then the polemic against idolatry and prophecy concerning Cyrus. So that is a wonderful section of scripture that we are looking at. And so let us continue to emphasize this thing that God is not through with Israel yet. But now... Thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, for I have called you by your name. You are mine. You see, talking about the retrospect in creation, redemption, and the preservation of Israel, we see here God claiming Israel as his own on the basis of four factors. The first one is, it is him who created Israel. He formed him, he redeemed him, and he named him. Which according to the oriental custom, actually the naming bit a signified ownership. He speaks of their origin and saying, the Lord who created you. You see, my friend, God took a sad specimen, really like Jacob. You know, Jacob's name means crooked. He was a supplanter, if you like. And out of him, he made a nation uh, to become Israel. And God took the dust of the ground. He breathed into it the spirit of life. And it became a living being. So when God says, he who created you, he, he is talking about the one who owns Israel, who owns all of us by virtue of creation. Now, we were created out of the dust. Now, after that, the human being rebelled. But now God today makes sons out of those who trust Christ. Even though we rebelled, now he is making us new. Now, that is my beginning. And it was a very bad beginning where I was born in the uh, womb of Adam, so to say. In Adam, I am a sinner. That's a bad beginning by creation. I am a sinner. I came from a rebellious sinner who on the physical side had been taken from the ground. The first man passed on to me a fallen nature which will never be reformed or repaired. But God has given me a new nature through Christ Jesus. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Nor shall the flame scorch you. Please notice that in verse 1, 
we are seeing God's special relationship with Israel. Our special relationship with, with God actually enables us to keep on going in spite of the difficulties. But in verse 2, not only do we see the special relationship, but we also see the sustaining presence of God with his people. The history of ancient Israel was framed by flood and fire. The flood of the Exodus from Egypt and the fire of the Babylonian exile. Isaiah combines now in parallel poetic fashion these twin themes of Exodus and exile that are so central to Israel's self-understanding. God's sustaining presence through the floods, through the waters, through even the captivities. The waters here suggest the Red Sea, which the Lord parted so that the nation of Israel could pass and escape from Egypt, according to Exodus 14:21 to 22. Likewise, the rivers recall the Jordan River, which the Lord also parted in order for the people to enter Canaan. Joshua 3, verse 14 to 17. The fire reflects the siege fires that burned Jerusalem, 2 Kings 25, 8-10. And symbolically, even the 70 years that the people of Judah spend in Babylon. And of course, you remember that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into that fairy furnace. And behold, the fire did not scorch them. When the king looked with his people, he asked a soul-searching question. Did we not throw in three men? How is it now we see four men? And one of them looks like the son of God. God says, I will be with you. Now, while this promise specifically applied to Israel, it also has a marvelous spiritual application for all of God's children in all times. Perhaps you have been through experiences of flood or fire, either literal or symbolic. In what ways was God with you? How did he preserve you? Or are you still in the midst of trial? If so, my friend, tell a fellow believer about your need and ask for prayer that God will supply you with the resources to meet the challenges. But keep on going. Why? Because God has a very special relationship with you and his sustaining presence will also go with you. But not the third thing, not only his sustaining presence, but he also has a significant purpose for your life, just as he had a significant purpose for Israel. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Isaiah 43 verse 3. Now in Proverbs 21 verse 18 we read, the wicked shall be a ransom for righteous, and the unfaithful for the upright. Now, have you ever wondered why God permitted the enemy to cross your path and cause you all the trouble he did? Now, he did it in order to bring you into line and in order to develop you spiritually. Listen to what he says. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored. I have loved you, therefore I will give men for you and people for your life. Now, we cannot imagine how much God loves Israel. We cannot imagine how precious we are to God. You see, the story here 
pictures what God did. He even displaced certain nations in order to put Israel in its place. Why? Because they are loved, because they are precious. Not because they had done something that was good, but because God simply loved them. God did not even spare his only begotten son. He gave him even as a ransom so that you, who is special to him, might fill that place. Look, consider that God has a significant purpose for you as he did for Israel. Listen to him again. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, don't keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Isaiah 43 verse 5 and 6. You see, God states in clear-cut language here that he will regather the nation Israel. In Jeremiah 31 verse 10, he reaffirms his commitment to this. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. God says that we are to listen to him, Regardless of what the world's situation might be, God says he intends to regather Israel. And we have his word for it. His word is there. He also has a special and a significant purpose for your life. Whatever might happen to you, he will bring you to the right place. Provided that special relationship is there, his sustaining presence is guaranteed. And the fulfillment of his significant purpose will surely be recognized. Isaiah 43 verse 10 says, You are my witness, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Again, my friend, I cannot overemphasize this statement. God has no competitor or equal. He alone is God. He alone holds this unique position as God. I, even I, am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. Isaiah 43 verse 11. This is interesting that all the religions of the world do not guarantee salvation except Christianity. Because Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Christ. God says, besides me, there is no Savior. Now God opens up the subject again of idolatry. I have declared and served. I have proclaimed. And there was no foreign God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord. That I am God. Isaiah 43 verse 12. Here God is saying, as long as you will not go into idolatry or turn to that which will lead you astray from me, I will bless you. What an assurance. Now, we have been looking at the retrospect regarding what God had done. Now let's consider the prospect, the future judgment and the deliverance or redemption of Israel. Indeed, before the day was, I am he, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? Isaiah 43 verse 13. The word reverse 
in this verse means to hinder. In other words, no creature can slip out of the hand of God or escape out of his reach. He is establishing that what he does is sure. What he has done is evident in what is past in history. But what he will do for the future is also guaranteed because of his person. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. Isaiah 43 verse 14. You see, the ultimate destruction of Babylon is already foretold here. He says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your King. Isaiah 43 verse 15. Now, surely it is inescapable that the nation Israel here is the subject. And God takes the responsibility for bringing them into existence. Now let every anti-Semite here take note of this. He is their king. God is their king. There is another affirmation of the deity of Christ. For he is their king again. So we see it here. When the Lord Jesus came to the earth and made his claim to kingship, Israel knew that he was claiming to be Emmanuel, God with us. The instructed Israelite understood that very well. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 43 verse 25. Now God is saying that he intends to forgive them the same basis that he has forgiven us. The method by which God blots out the sins of his people is not clear, but the removal of sin was not at the expense of God's justice and his honor. The redemption is accomplished by Christ's death, resurrection, and the satisfying divine justice in accordance with divine mercy. For my own sake here underscores the exclusion of human merit as a factor in salvation. No flesh can stand before God. Your first father sinned, and your mediators have transgressed against me. Isaiah 43 verse 27. Here, your first father sinned is evidently a reference to Abraham, who, though a friend of God according to Genesis 41 verse 8, was not surely without sin. Scripture records his failures and his sins. We have only a mention here, the matter of his lying to Pharaoh about Sarah and his wife. And your mediators here really means interpreters, those who interpret God to the people, had faults and sins. Remember Samson, Samuel, and David. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. I will give Jacob to the case, and Israel to reproaches. Isaiah 43 verse 28. Now this is the present condition of Israel, reproaches actually. They have no peace today because they have departed from the living and true God. This is not, however, the final state. God has a future for them. Chapter 44 continues the theme of chapter 43. However, the last chapter closes with the dark mention of coming judgment. 
What is the judgment? I will give Jacob to the case and Israel to reproaches. Now, chapter 44 moves into the light of the coming kingdom and the promise of the Holy Spirit. There is in this chapter a brilliant and bitterly devastating satire against idolatry. This is the recurring theme of this particular section. The human heart has a way of turning from God to some idol. Today we do not go after graven images, but anything to which a person gives himself instead of the true God is an idol. It can be the veneration of ancestors, the career, the making of money, seeking for fame, power, race prejudice, pleasure, sex, alcohol, self-adoration or business. These are our idols. Or Africa, the high point of the prophet's polemic against idolatry will come in chapter 46. There we shall have the occasion to consider this subject further and to examine the real distinction between God and an idol. But God gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit. So he calls to Israel as his chosen one and assures her of his help. Then there is this remarkable prophecy of the Spirit. Isaiah 44 verse 3 For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. You see, God's sovereign promise is to pour his Spirit upon Israel and to change the character of his people so that they are not rebellious and they believe him. This, I believe, is a reference to the pouring out of the Spirit, which corresponds to Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. When Peter quoted from it on the day of Pentecost, he did two things. First, he said that this is that. Please note, he says this is that. He did not say it was a fulfillment, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 16. The crowd there in Jerusalem was actually ridiculing the disciples because they were speaking in different tongues of the works of God, wonderful works of God. That is according to Acts chapter 2 verse 11. They accused them of being full of new wine instead of the Holy Spirit. So Peter says in substance, this should not amaze you, friends, because this is similar to what will take place in the last days. Please note the several reasons why Joel's prophecy was not fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. So many people say that Joel's prophecy was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. The first observation is that Joel said, And I will show you wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillar of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Joel 2 verse 30 and 31. Now, this did not take place on the day of Pentecost. So, it is not properly interpreting the scriptures to say that fulfillment was on the day of Pentecost. Secondly, the record in Acts tells us that the Spirit was not poured out on all people, but Joel said, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, according to verse 28 of Joel 2. In Acts, there were the first 120 disciples, then 3,000 believers, not ever all. And after 2,000 years, it still is not 
all the flesh. The fulfillment of Joel's prophecy is coming in the future. We now move on to the polemic against idolatry. In verses 9 to verse 20 of Isaiah chapter 44, we have a brilliant polemic against idolatry. The way the prophet deals with the subject is really devastating. Those who make images are witnesses to the senseless character of their gods. An image does not even have the five senses of a human being. An idol can't hear, see, talk, smell, or feel. Paul called them nothings, and that is what they are. They cannot help anyone. They cannot help. Isaiah 44 verse 10 tells us, Who would form a god or mold an image that profits him nothing? You see, the prophet asks the question, Why do you spend all of your time making a god? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You have everything mixed up. You don't make a god. God made you. Now he goes on to describe even the idol-making process. The blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals, fashions it with the hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. Isaiah 44 verse 12. Here the point is, the artificer of metals works hard in forging a god from some metal, but his labor weakens him. And it reveals that he is but a man. After all of his labor, talent, time and money that he puts into making a god, what does he get? Nothing. He gets a beautiful little nothing. That's what an idol is. Now the origin of a man-made god begins in a forest. Yet it is God who made the tree to begin with. Only God can make a tree. Then it shall be for a man to burn. For he will take some of it and warn himself. Yes, he kindles. For he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. Isaiah 44 verse 15. The point here, my friend, is that the chips and the scraps from the production of a god that is made out of a tree are used to kindle a fire for the man to warm himself and to bake bread. This is the only practical and helpful use or contribution that comes from the making of a god. In fact, the scraps are helpful, but that idol is no good to you at all. It cannot warm you, it cannot cook your food, it cannot help you, it cannot save you. An idol cannot do anything for you. And God is calling Israel's attention to how absurd idolatry really is. My friend, many of us give ourselves to those things that make us uh, move away from God. They don't help us. They don't lift us up. They don't bring us joy. And it is a fact that they can never save us from our sinful lives. Isaiah moves on to talk about the prophecy concerning Cyrus. Isaiah 44 verse 28. Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple, Your, founding, your foundation shall be laid. 
Now, I want you to keep in mind that this verse really belongs in the next chapter. Here is an unusual incidence of the mention of, by name, of a yet unborn king about 150 years before the event. Although critics find that this may be impossible and they argue for a late date and authorship by someone else rather than Isaiah, their protest simply exposes their prejudice against God's revelation. God reveals these things, my friend. Now, if God can create a universe, if the incarnation of Christ is a reality, and if the resurrection is true, then predicting Cyrus' name prior to his birth is no great difficult at all. There are many instances in the word of God where God's predictions were made way ahead of time. We shall develop this thought actually in the next chapter. As I said, verse 28 of chapter 44 of Isaiah belongs really to chapter 45. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.